0: Need any money
1: or anything, you know? Man, I got over like a fat rat when I got out, man. I got my school money coming from the government once a month. I got my veterans check coming once a month. I got my 50% medical check coming to me for the rest of my life. I ain't got to do a goddamn thing else but go to the mailbox, you dig? Hey man, how the hell you pull a 50% medical? Nigga, <laughs> you ain't disabled. Man, some shit got into me over there, man. What? All I know is my blood cells all fucked up. Some nights I wake up in cold sweats and shit. You don't look at me like that, man, it ain't the heroin. The heroin ain't never did nothing to me. A lot of vets come out with this shit and they don't know what it is. Squab is. That was Chris Tucker and Loranz Tate as two Vietnam veterans who bring home disease, addiction and horrifying memories taking them to the edge with their families and pushing them to risk a dangerous heist in 1995's Dead Presidents. This week we're reviewing Cherry, starring Tom Holland as a young man that falls in love,
0: joins the army on the eve of the Iraq war and returns with PTSD. Once back
1: he sinks into a drug addiction he fuels by robbing banks. And we head to Texas with a country legend who's running a little slice of the oldest profession and singing all the way in this week's What Have You Been Watching?
0: We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films. And films are better than
1: people. I'm Sam. And I'm Lawrence.
0: Why the fuck are you with me? What you think I need? You think I need this shit? Fuck, you can't get a decent job. You won't fuck me. The only time I get to hold you is when you're having one of them silly ass nightclubs. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. You don't know, girl. You really don't know. So, uh,
1: what have you been watching this week? So, I watched The Best Little Hallhouse in Texas, which is a musical from 1982. It's based loosely on the true story of a brothel just outside of a small town in Texas called The Chicken Ranch. The Chicken Ranch is run by Mona, played by Dolly Parton, who runs a tight ship, making sure the girls work hard, but are well taken care of, and are under the protection of her lover, the local sheriff, Ed Earl played by Burt Reynolds. They pay their taxes, donate to local causes, invigorate the local economy. But when a big city muckraking TV journalist wants to make Chicken Ranch his next big scoop, he goes on a crusade to have it shut down.
0: We get fun! no high tone just lots of the and maybe one
1: small thrill but there's nothing dirty going on so this has been on my watch list for quite a while and there's two reasons uh, one because I spend too much time on YouTube watching old trailers and movie clips and for some reason the algorithm spat one of the musical numbers out at me uh, and I watched it and I know what you're gonna be saying that you, you know what have you been clicking on to get the best little whorehouse in Texas aimed at you, um, but like, uh, but then I sort of found myself humming it to myself, and it just got kind of stuck in my head, just like country place never much to see. Like, yeah, just as country music does, I guess. <laughs> Sometimes it does. So because I just it was just stuck in my head, I was like, I'm gonna have to watch this now. the The, the other reason I watched it was that they were showing an old Glastonbury on TV. Uh, with everything going on I think people wanted to remember music festivals you know it's one of the things that's impossible to do in this pandemic and Dolly Parton did a set a few years ago and maybe because this song was sort of stuck in my head and I was thinking about I'm going to watch this film like I I watched her set and I've never been much of a like a Dolly fan but it was wonderful because Dolly Parton is, is like country music royalty but outside of the country music bubble she's she's still an icon but she's also quite camp but in my mind, that makes for quite quite a good person to go and see live, like someone broad and fun, but with their own kind of unique energy. Someone you can take quite seriously, or just have fun with, or a bit of both. But but I I thought it was a great set. I, you know, I didn't know many of the songs apart from Jolene and Nine to Five. Um, but it was still really good. You know what I what I really didn't know, and music people out there might crucify me for this. But that she originally did "I Will Always Love You," which is more made more popular by Whitney Houston. Hmm. Uh, like over here, I didn't I didn't know she did that. But her version is so much better. I was really taken by it. Like her version is her her original version is. It's I found it so moving, and I've never listened to it before. But I, yeah, it really spoke to me, and I. And I and so anyway, this week, I finally got round to watching The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, which is a film, you know, she made in 1982. And what was it like? What did you think? I, I mean, I thought, it was, I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, I really liked it. Like, I, I, I don't watch musicals very often.
0: No, neither do I. Like, <laughs> I, I, This is all kind of like, I watched the trailer in preparation for this, and there was just nothing about it for me that I thought I want to go and watch that film. It's just it just seems like very very odd on YouTube that like that you can watch. Um, I think the only number, yeah, and it has this uh, energy and vibrancy to it, which I sort of oh actually if you're in the right mood for it, then you could really enjoy
1: it. Yeah, you could be, and I, I don't know. I think sometimes when you you know when you watch as many films as like we do, I don't know when you find something like a little bit weird that 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 just that you remember, that sticks in your head, that, that kind of makes me think, like, I should really seek this out. I, I am a great believer in getting outside of your comfort zone, especially with films. Maybe only with films, actually, I could say getting out of my comfort zone, as I do like a lie-in and, like, take away and stuff. So maybe I'll say only with films I kind of like, I, I like to get out of my comfort zone. But <laughs> you know, I do with this, because so, I don't watch many musicals. Um, it had a few really great numbers, ma- mainly actually the first one that you watch, I think, is, is definitely the best. Um, some of them are less memorable, but there's also like a lot less musicy bits in it. For a, mu- it's not one of those musicals where it's just constantly songs. It, there's there's lots of kind of like drama in be- in between it and stuff.
0: Oh, okay, that makes it
1: more palatable for me. Then, yeah. then, <laughs> a bit less singing. Yeah. Um, uh, Dolly. And Bert, like the the chemistry between the two of them is just wonderful. It, they're just so comfortable with one another, um, and their status as like sex symbols, and it's kind of an unconventional romance, and it just suits them really, really well. I just found them like so watchable because they both got their own kind of unique charisma, and it just works so well together.
0: Yeah, because she's the madam and he's the sheriff. The sheriff, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: so it's kind of a yeah, quite kind of unconventional, but it works. I guess there's a kind of a, there's a kind of sweetness and a kind of real intimacy to them they're both quite like big characters but they find like having this little romance between the two of them is just ends up being like quite sweet still like kind of like quite rude and kind of sexy but but it's their own thing and it's quite it's really sweet I liked it they're they're both icons as I said they're, they're icons in the south and this is set in the south it, it's full of like stuff you'd link with the south you know it's you know, set in Texas, you know. but Reynolds him, himself, he's he's known for playing kind of Southern Rogues and, and and like Mavericks and like modern cowboys and stuff. But also there's like like people like talking a lot of Southern similes like, you know, that man is crazier than a peach orchard sow or slicker than cat shit on linoleum. Like and stuff like that. Like it's also got this kind of like mistrust of, of central government as being corrupt. Uh, trusting the good old boys over them, you know, the, the big city folk all being frauds, like the crusading journalist that kind of drives the plot. He's revealed to be a fraud wearing a girdle and, like, uh, stuffing his trousers with a sock. And he actually comes from New Jersey, so he's kind of an outsider. But actually, as I was watching it, I I'd start to notice loads of kind of interesting things. So it's got all this, like, southern stuff going in, but it's also weirdly progressive. Hmm... Um, because, the, the, you know, the South is famous for being a conservative place.
0: Republican states everywhere. Republican
1: states everywhere. I think
0: Texas is, yeah. Texas. Yeah, is
1: Texas everywhere. is Republican. They, there was a kind of a hope that it could, like, swing in the last election, yeah. but it didn't. But no, always, always, the South's always been a very conservative place. But the film does have this really progressive edge. Like, the, the central conflict is about this brothel, which is good for the economy provides a necessary service, everyone is safe, everyone is decent to Mona, it's tolerated as a common-sense approach to sex work. There's no moralising. Like, in fact, the, the the point keeps getting put across that you can't legislate morality. And I just thought this was a really good progressive, like, like thing with in, in the middle of a, a movie with a lot of, like, conservative iconography, right? There's even this, like, really sweet scene between Mona and Ed. They go for a drive and have, like, some beers like, out by a lake somewhere. And they kind of, they get to talking and they sort of, um, they bring up Jesus and how he must have been a good person and how he treated Mary Magdalene really well, who was also a prostitute. And there's just sort of their, their own kind of unique take on religion. And, and Dolly looks up at the stars and says, like,
0: That's funny now how God can forgive you and people can't. Now, why is that?
1: Well, because people are not very godlike. I know. And it's really sweet. Like the and the South as well is like famous for this very conservative religion. But then there's these icons talking about a really compassionate progressive faith. And I thought that was I thought that was really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, and not something that you just so I mean, if you just watch the trailer or if you just watch that only number, you just think it's something that's a bit rawdy or a bit fun, or you know, something that's just like a bit vacuous. But it looks like there's sort of some deeper themes in
1: there. There's also a lot of kind of like things about hypocrisy. There's a kind of whole musical number about how the governor just keeps dodging questions and doesn't really care, and he's represented as someone who's not really caring about the greater good. Neither is the journalist uh, who's leading the the campaign. Uh, he's a phony. Uh, there's a bit where where the journalist actually finds one of the prostitutes uh, and a customer having a post coital joint, and he smells it and says they're smoking cocaine, and that sort of shows his like general ignorance towards other vices, you know, like like drugs as well. And I also kind of thought, like, the film's, like, poking fun at that, and I wondered whether it might suggest that the South has a more liberal viewpoint on cannabis than is uh, commonly conceived, but that's, that's a whole other thing uh, that you, you could go into. That, that being said, like, I am a kind of lefty liberal, and I'm, I'm not going to say that the film was entirely... I thought
0: you were a centrist last time.
1: <laughs> Can you make up your mind? <laughs> All right, yeah. I'm I'm sent to left. Well, are you going to be conservative next podcast? Or? <laughs> I'm slowly, slowly. This is. I, I think this is this film's brainwashing me. It's teaching me. You know. <laughs> oh, maybe they've got some good ideas. I, I think that there's elements of it though that aren't so good under like a kind of a harsher light, like a progressive light. That there is like a whole section of the plot that involves like the winner of an annual football match. Uh, the whole team getting a night at the ranch bought and paid for by a senator in Texas and i mean if you want a dictionary definition of what objectification is then that's pretty much it right but then again i mean they you know they're sex workers so they do deserve to be treated with respect but ultimately I don't know where that that a word like objectification really really fits in I don't know whether it can be used in the same way in this I'm not I'm not too well, sure
0: well is there like a leary camera is there or you know does, does the film empower the like the, the female characters or... it
1: certainly empowers yeah I, th- I think it does it certainly empowers like Mona and some of the people at the at the ranch but yeah there's the odd there's certainly the odd Leary camera so yeah uh, I meant more in the kind of the context as well of like the fang, f- fact of like oh you can go to this brothel as a prize for you winning <laughs> like it's a little bit yeah again I don't know whether you need a different kind of standard I, I think that despite the tone being quite progressive like it, it doesn't want to be it's not like a frank examination of what sex work is obviously like the girls are protected they have to follow strict rules and generally seem content but we, we don't ever get into who they are Or why they're there, which I think some people you might watch this and go, that's a bit of an omission. Like we're more concerned with Dolly the madam who's kind of in charge, but the girls just kind of are are like background. Yeah, do
0: they have their own autonomy? Like, are they economically free? I don't know. Is is that ever? Is that do they really? I mean, I mean, it's a musical. I know it's a musical.
1: (laughs) But it's fair enough. Like, if I'm arguing that, like, oh, there's actually this kind of... There's something interesting going on under the surface there. I think that's, that's fair. I think it's fair enough. Like, they, they don't really... We, do, we don't ever really know anything except the surface-level stuff about them. You, you know, we, we don't really get into them... Into them or who they are, but yeah, it is a it is a musical. I don't know where, how how deep you want to go with that.
0: So there was no song about the pros of uh, making prostitution illegal and uh, <laughs> was there any sort? Of, yeah, was there any like upbeat number about um, yeah decriminalising
1: prostitution? <laughs> Not a song, no. But uh, but uh, definitely, there's a but there are segments that are arguing about that. Okay, like Burt Reynolds does at one point. He goes to the governor. And he, and he argues, like, well, if they were, you know, if, if there were any problems coming from them, if they were causing trouble or that was, was hurting the health for the town, then I would shut them down. But I've got no reason to shut them down. We, we can't tell people how to live their lives. You know, we can't, you know, legislate morality. And he, and he says, like, and the government's like, it's the law. And uh, Bert says, like, well... Then the law should be changed. So there is that argument going on throughout it that the view on sex work is by the broader population is really, really wrong. When they, they were getting on just fine <laughs> in the little town before some like nosy reporter kind of um, stuck his nose in. Uh, though on that, that there is like there is one thing I noticed though as I was like doing some reading around the film. This is as I said based on a true story about a brothel called the Chicken Ranch, and there was a crusade for it to be shut down by TV journalists. In reality, that TV journalist was actually from Texas, but in the film, he's a fraud because he's from New Jersey, right? But also, in real life, he was Jewish. Now, (laughs) I don't, I don't know if this is like reading too much into it to 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 kind of maybe think that there's a little like like anti-Semitism going on there, but um, and because they don't establish his ethnicity or religion in the film or anything. In real life, he was from Texas. In the film, he's from New Jersey. New Jersey is like the the where the biggest population of Jews in the United States is. It's a little bit dodgy. Maybe I'm re- maybe I'm reading into it too far.
0: Well, yeah, I don't really want to comment without seeing the film, but um yeah, that doesn't I'll never I've, I don't think I've ever heard a film that's been described to me as something that could be so progressive and regressive at the same time. <laughs> it just seems like just an absolutely like bizarre
1: I mean, I think it was. I thought it was wonderful. Uh, But like, I think. But that's that is also part of what kind of I loved about it is that actually there was this kind of interesting thing going on beneath the surface. I don't know whether they intended it or not. But actually, I think viewing it now, it's this real uh, mixed bag of stuff of a kind of progressive viewpoint and maybe a more conservative viewpoint.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe people, maybe
1: someone else might see this film and just
0: not take any of that. Maybe you've kind of looked, like, too deeper into it. but I think maybe, <laughs> I don't think a lot of
1: people have looked into it. As yeah, I mean, we,
0: I don't think either of us can say we're huge connoisseurs of the musical genre. But, and actually, like, I think part of the musical genre is that it's meant to be fun and it's meant to be thrilling and, you know, you're kind of meant to lose yourself within the music and within the spectacle um, mm. of a musical. Uh, and the song, you know, you you love the songs and you love the theatrics of it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if if maybe someone else might, you know, perhaps from a like a musical background might look at this and judge it more, you know, on on the quality of the song or you know the quality of the the choreography and the dance or if you see if you see what yeah, I mean. Yeah, definitely.
1: And I think there's it's definitely got that element. I don't think all of the musical numbers are as memorable as. As they're not all created equal, right? But I think it's really fun. It's got a real spirit to it. It's really fun. It's really sexy. It's really... It's kind of silly in bits. And I, I think there's a... I think it's a little bit of a gem, like, in the musical genre. And there's this... And there's this re- was this really nice point. I was watching it towards the end. Like, I didn't expect it because it's a, it's a musical. And I didn't expect, like, Dolly to bust out any of her songs. But then right at the end, she sings, I will always love you. And the movie was already at this like really sad moment, and I could just feel myself like welling up a bit, and it was such a great moment. And I don't know, I'm a, I'm a little bit in love with Dolly Parton now, and I feel like I might go through a bit of a Dolly phase, like maybe look at some of her old albums and stuff.
0: Yeah, well, she helped come up with the vaccine for coronavirus,
1: so... Very timely. No better time to fall in love with her. <laughs> <laughs> what a hero. Like I said, I think it's a really I, I think it's a real gem. Um and I think it's it is really fun. It's it's got some like great numbers in it. there's great charisma between the two leads. I think it's a gem and there is a more liberal representation of the South in there that might be a bit more closer to reality than Fox News would often have you believe. So I, I think that's it's, it's kind of interesting watching that that balancing act. But you can just come for the the fun songs and the you know country and western iconography—you can do that as well. And actually, people did come because it was number one at the box office when it was released in 1982. Oh, okay. And it was actually the tenth highest-grossing movie in the US in 1982, which is actually pretty good considering that in that same year, ET and Raiders of the Lost Ark wow. was released, and Rocky Free. So, for like, to, to, I think coming number ten is pretty respectable, especially for a musical about prostitutes
0: yeah I have to ask this um, but was the brothel open 9 to 5 no don't even don't even answer it. you look like you were seriously going to answer that
1: question so there just ain't no way in this world it can work could make it work so have to give it a chance
0: if I should stay well I-
1: Does, it, does this conversation put you in the mood to watch musicals? No. Fair enough.
0: No. Uh, I, I just... It's... it's yes, I, I, I can admire musicals from afar and I would never disrespect any genre. But yeah, I think musicals for me is, is it's, it's quite, it's quite difficult. I don't think I can ever really fall in love with them that other people do. But there's there are plenty of examples of cinema perfection uh within the within the musical genre, so
1: um I'm not being a snob at all about it no, I don't think so. well, maybe we'll find you your your musical one day maybe you'll find your your your' one
0: yeah I'm just trying to think if there if there is anyone that i i sort of really really like i mean I, d-
1: I don't don't struggle too much I don't think you're gonna, I don't think you're gonna if you have to think about it too hard then I yeah. think that's, that's probably a no but
0: where does this where does this rank for you on your musicals is this in
1: the top five or is is this... it, but I'm not really an expert like I, so I, this is your one then you can say this. <laughs> yeah. no I think no. Rocky Horror Picture Show is my yeah. number one there's some others down the line I don't know if I'd put this as like one of the best musicals ever made but I'd say that if you like musicals this is kind of a little little bit of a gem Maybe seek it out. Uh, you don't have to like try and follow the politics of it if you don't want. Yeah, think of it m- more as like an underrated classic in the genre rather than one of the, you know, the stalwart bookends of it. It's just a So, this week we watched Cherry, which is directed by Joe and Anthony Russo, and starring Tom Holland, and it's available to view now on Apple TV. Sam's going to tell you the plot. Cherry is played by Tom Holland as we follow his journey meeting the love of his life in college, his
0: transition to a medic for the United States Army, and finally, to his chapter dealing with PTSD
1: and drug addiction. Or, as a haiku, The Military. Can't live with it, or without. Bit like heroin.
0: Short but simple. <laughs> Short but
1: simple. To the point. I mean, there's there's a lot of strands I need to fit into that 575 formula. So, I, I, I feel like I nailed it.
0: Yeah, I think... Considering how long and slightly complex the film is in um, in terms of what he's trying to say and trying to do, I think it's quite nice for you to give something so succinct right at the beginning. It's <laughs> just quite a contrast.
1: <laughs> and here's a clip. I'm 23 years old and... Sometimes I wonder if
0: life was wasted on me. I take all the beautiful things to heart. Till I about die from it. But
1: there never seems to be enough times to do it. You're it for me. I feel the same way. I joined the army. Why would you do that? Sometimes I feel like I've already seen everything that's gonna happen. Ah, ah, ah. And it's a nightmare.
0: My one true accomplishment was not dying.
1: Please, back up! I have
0: this noise. In my head. It'll stop.
1: One day it'll go quiet. I don't. I don't know about you. This doesn't make me want to join the military anymore. I didn't receive really this as much of a recruiting film. No. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I think it'll drive people away. I mean, I guess it's sort of set in the noughties, so it's not exactly. A film set in the present that's going to be like, oh yeah, I want to go and join the army straight away. Oh, this is going to be a a lucrative and fun career where I can build relationships and make myself a better person. No, definitely not. Didn't didn't get that vibe from it. But it's not just about being in the army, I guess. No,
1: and I think that's what's distinctive about it. Uh, And I, I certainly am finding it a struggle to find things that are distinctive about Cherry, but... I I think that to be generous to it, it's it's a mixed bag. I think the one thing that I really liked about Cherry, um, apart from Tom Holland, who I do think is good and I enjoyed watching him, is that it's attempting to tell a full story about how society can fail a person, and I really like that. You know, it's not just about drug addicts. It's not just about being in the military. Uh, it's not just about the choices that lead you up to either of those two decisions it's it's attempting to tell you the full story of how a life can go so so wrong and how both society and the person themselves enables that to happen and i think that's a really ambitious idea and uh, to an extent it achieves that I, I think that the problem is at the same time it also just feels like really well trodden ground it might seem like low-hanging fruit, really, to compare it to other dramas about these subjects. And like I said, I admire that it's trying to tell a complete story of a life. But the the moment-to-moment bits in it are all things you will have seen before if you've watched Full Metal Jacket, Jarhead, Spotting, or Drugstore Cowboy. And that is really what holds it back.
0: Yeah, I agree with most of that. I think, ostensibly, it's a visual film. It's made by the Russo brothers, and this is their first film since avengers endgame so they've kind of gone to oh, that little indie project oh yeah exactly well i think this is what was quite interesting really about the pre-production and i guess the whole process of the film in the fact that you've got these people who have made one of the most highest grossing films of all time in avengers endgame um, and they've contributed to other marvel films as well but they've gone to make yeah this film for a much lower budget they're working with less visual effects than they will have done on um on the avengers films and yeah, I guess they're trying something completely different, which is admirable in a way, but I think you can probably tell that this isn't a subject they've really looked at before. And I, to return to my original point, I think it's a visual film in that they're interested in certain camera techniques, and they're interested in certain ways of telling the story that look really, really good. But then the substance of the story just isn't
1: quite there for me. Okay. Do you think that's because th- these subjects are just so well-trodden in cinema? I don't know if these are the guys to find a fresh look at this kind of thing. Not, Yeah, not particularly. I just don't think it's very well told. I think it's
0: <laughs> it's, it's just too bloated, really. I mean, I think it could have been a hundred minutes and there's this kind of overuse of slow-mo throughout and I really, really felt it towards the end. I, felt, mm. I mean, this is kind of an odyssey and I don't re- really mean that as a compliment. It just feels like it goes on and on and and actually i think if you take away some of these like visual motifs that they they use and you tell it in a much more functional straightforward way then i think you can perhaps make more of an impact because we actually see this guy who into in cherry who's who's really likable and he seems you know someone who's a bit of an idealist yeah. he ends up falling in love and then through tragedy really he ends up joining the army and then after that his life just completely goes downhill and he turns into a a bank robber. We we open the film with him robbing a bank mm. so we know that it's gonna go very wrong very quickly. Well no well, not very quickly, but over um over a certain amount of years off after he comes out of the army. But there's just this doom laden idea about it, and he even says, I think, that you know, when you can see something that's gonna happen and it's your worst nightmare, and there's just that you know, that there's that feeling throughout the film and this tone that Things are just gonna go very, very wrong for him.
1: And I think that's a hard film to to really grasp. Listen, don't, don't talk to me about misery laden odysseys, because I had to watch the Snyder Cut recently. <laughs> that was a that was a miserable Odyssey. I think that's another uh, podcast. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that I respect the the Russos for some of the things that they've done before. They're one of the more fresher voices in the Marvel. Universe, which is really hard to do (laughs) since they, since uh, Marvel Studios are determined to choke any kind of individuality. Oh,
0: yeah, directors work on a leash.
1: Yeah. They work on a leash there. But somehow, you see, the Russo's were the ones that managed to shake the leash the most with the second Captain America film. And, you know, amazingly, it was one of the most well received. And then Marvel gave them all of the biggest projects. So. I don't know whether that should tell Marvel, like, you should learn a little lesson there, but, again, maybe that's another, another podcast. Yeah, let's stay on Cherry. Stay on on Cherry, cherry. stay on Cherry. Well, that's the thing as well, is that I I want to stay on Cherry, but it is hard to not watch something like this and be drawn to both the careers of the Russos and of Holland a bit. I mean, mean, an example of, of what I'm kind of getting at here, this stuff that we've seen before, you know, it's the narration throughout, the film it's the grueling boot camp it's the insanity of the day-to-day in a respectable way of life like being in the military and then just the normality of the day-to-day life in an unrespectable life like being a heroin addict or robbing a bank it's the drill sergeants the dealers the comrade in arms the other junkies like this is all stuff that most people listen to this will have seen you know half a dozen times before in other films. And some of them I did like. It just really just never it never felt that fresh. That does make you feel the length even more. Like, it does go on and on and on. That is perhaps why the
0: Russo's do overdo the visuals. They really want to show off, like, their skill and flair when creating a film. And, and you know, the way the camera moves through certain scenes and the way that the editing sort of speeds up and slows down. I think it's a way that they just wanted to put, like, their name on it, really. But there are some good like techniques in there so like during basic training when uh, Cherry gets into the army the frame ratio changes to a 1.33 I think that's the technical term or it basically the the frame shrinks so that's like a really good visual decision because it feels more claustrophobic you see these poor men just like lose their humanity as they go into the army their heads are shaved they just have to perform all these like horrible humiliating tasks to you know to get them in the zone to turn them into soldiers and yeah, that's, that's that's a really good technique. And then when they actually get to Iraq, we go back to a full frame because the country has this like huge, sandy, orange scope. So again, that makes sense. That's like, that's really, really interesting what they've done there. But then, yeah, it's just what's underneath, really. I just don't think I was ever particularly interested in any of the characters, too many characters for a start. I think that kind of what holds the film back a bit. It could have been like a little bit stripped down and that they could focus a bit more on Cherry and his girlfriend and... You didn't need these interruptions from yeah, from certain other slightly superfluous people that um, appear throughout the film.
1: Yeah, I actually did like some of the slow-mo sequences, actually, especially like some of the ones... You've got a lot to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really liked... I won't spoil anything, but there's one towards the end of the film. In fact, there's like a couple towards the end where they really get across, like, you know, the feeling of Cherry making a really strong decision, and there's a kind of finality about his decision, and that's emphasised by them using slow motion, the fact that he's, like, feeling every moment, or, you know, the way that in later sequences they kind of communicate the passage of time through, like, a kind of montage. There was something very effective about that. But too far and few in between, you're right. I think at the core of it, what is really going on here, it feels like the Russos and Tom Holland, who are all talented people, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next, but they wanted to do something very anti-Marvel. And so I I can't help but come away from Cherry and Field like it's a showcase. It's like we can all do lots of other things. And it might sound cynical, and like I say, I hate, having to come back to Marvel because that's all that anyone does these days but you know I can't help but see Cherry as a bit of an audition reel for everyone involved because they d- they're not bringing anything new to the table it's a lot of stuff that goes on for a long time and it feels more like don't forget about us once we've wrapped up this billion dollar franchise because there's the other stuff we can do.
0: That's annoying because I've literally written down almost exactly that. (laughs) I've even used the word showcase, yeah. Well, that is kind of pretty boring. Uh, Almost as boring as the film. But no, I think. uh, No, I completely agree. I just think they were desperate to get away from that, you know, exorbitant budget and and make a film that, yeah, had more indie principles, really. Because if this was directed by a first or a second time director, then that would kind of make sense because. It has the artistic value that I think you'd associate with like independent cinema. But of course, this is coming from two directors who have worked with huge, huge budgets. But I think what you touched on as well about how this is a showcase, they do it with the genre as well, because it's kind of the film feels like it's in three parts and they've kind of separated it into genres. So obviously the middle part is clearly a war film. The first one is like a coming-of-age romance film, and then the third one is kind of like a drug addiction heist film. It's like you've got all that yeah. amalgamated into one film, and I guess no wonder it's 140 minutes in the end because that mix of genre and yeah, the, the way that they fuse different genres together is is definitely them saying, "Oh, well, we could do this in the future." You know, you want to see a good drug story? We could do this. Or you want another war film? Or oh, we
1: can direct this as well. So. Yeah, it's just all a bit showy. Yeah, it's frustrating because I ideally want to have stuff that I can tell people like, you haven't seen this before. You know, I want you to see this film because it's a fresh take on something. Cherry just feels like a bit of a holding pattern. Like, it's really hard to see how this is going to make its mark. I think people will come to it because they like Tom Holland... And then I think most people will forget about it. As I was kind of talking about this, it actually reminded me of Malcolm and Marie, like that we were talking about uh, last episode. I don't see this staying in people's minds. You know, I hate to be a a cynic, but it's stuck on a platform that I just don't think is as popular as many of the others. You know, I bought the free trial to watch this. I'm not going to be staying on Apple TV. I think Tom Holland is going to be an icon for many younger people, but I just feel like there's so many platforms out there and there's so much content and we are competing with more and more things these days a lot of people are used to things the length of a tiktok video i think it's just another example of something that's going to be really disposable not a lot of people are going to remember it and i'm not even sure if it was designed to be remembered i think this feels a bit like something to do while you're waiting for the next thing And that's kind of a shame. Um, Although I think to an extent that's successful for Holland because you certainly get to see that Tom Holland's got a lot of range and that he can do some really good stuff. And I think he is a great actor and I'm really looking forward to seeing him do more things in the rest of his career. I would have actually really liked to see when directors come out of a a system like Marvel, I would have liked them to really make their mark, make something a lot weirder, make something that, that, that actually was then going out on a bit of a limb and saying, like, no, actually, this is who we are as film. But they
0: have tried. They have tried. But yeah, I mean, maybe I, they I, have. I think,
1: yeah, I, I mean... Maybe that's a bit unfair. Maybe that's a bit unfair.
0: They could have just sat on their laurels and done, like, another big-budget film. I mean, look, the studio would have... Any studio would have given them a, like, huge budget. They've helped to make one of the most successful franchises in, in film history. They, you know, they could have gone to any big studio and got a huge budget and gone to make, I don't know, like a 300 million... Space epic, or you know, I'm trying to think of the most expensive film I I can really. And no, they've they've gone and they made this. I mean, I I don't think it's particularly worthwhile. I think I th- I think Tom Holland's good in it. I think you see a really good physical transformation, but overall, yeah, I just felt this is more of a showcase than. A film that's trying to say something about war and say something about drug addiction and 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 what happens to soldiers once they return from, from that hellish landscape.
1: But I don't want it to feel like a showcase. Or if it's a showcase, I want it to feel like, oh no, the Russos are different because of this. This is what they do. This is the thing that they do best. I didn't get anything out of Cherry that said, this is what the Russos do best.
0: Yeah, well, they've given us a lot. They put <laughs> they put a lot in there. They put a lot of different genres. They put a lot of different characters. There's a lot of script. There's a lot of narration, really. I mean, that over-narration is reminiscent of a film noir, so maybe they'll go down that route. I, d- I don't know. I think... Yeah, this is this is maybe just a ex- bit of an experiment for them to, to try different visual techniques and styles, work with actors that they like. I mean, obviously, they've worked with Tom Holland before. So, yeah, I mean, we could possibly see them do something maybe weirder, maybe more interesting, like you, that you'd want to see from them. Yeah. But, yeah, at the moment, we were kind of left with this, and, um, yeah, I don't
1: think it's going to stick in the memory. I guess the one thing it does do really successfully is, as I said at the beginning, the, the entire journey of a person, not just those... Selective snippets like we, we get you know Renton in Train Spotting tells us in the open monologue his philosophy of why he's a heroin addict, but we don't really see why he became a heroin addict, and that's what Cherry wants to do. It wants to give you the, the complete picture of why someone is where they is, is where they is, is where they are, is um, where they is, is where they are. You sound like one of the characters. <laughs> And I really like that. It's just that for everything I had to experience, I don't know if it's worth that. That's a problem. Also, I really hated those things in the background that told you it was all in his head. You know, like the names of the banks were all changed to silly stuff like Shit Bank. It was like so on the nose. That That's not a good advert for your technique if you're trying to showcase what you are as a, as a director. Have you uh, checked if there is anywhere called Shit Bank in America though? <laughs>
0: No, I guess I haven't. Do you think I should? Well, that could be like like a way that you know. Obviously, banks never have any good press these days. So, <laughs> yeah, that could be a, that could be a rebrand for um, for one of the banks in
1: America, possibly something edgy, yeah. like in your face. We're a shit bank. We don't care. Get the Gen Z in.
0: <laughs> I've
1: been at this a while now, and it's no secret what my face looks like. Get on the ground, ma'am. It's nothing personal. I love you.
0: Can you look back to when you met the one you loved the most? And remember exactly how it was? What you saw in her that made you say, yes, this is what I came here for. If you like Cherry, then Jarhead could be one to watch in the future. The strongest part, in my humble opinion, of Cherry is in the middle third and the loss of innocence over Cherry's time in boot camp and in the suck. Well, the majority of Jarhead's running time takes place in Iraq, but in the First Gulf War around 1991. We follow Anthony Swafford as he joins the Marine Corps and goes through military training. The close relationship he has with the unit around him defines him, and we see the same as Cherry makes good friends with a fellow medic. Jarhead doesn't mess around and only gives us a glimpse of Swafford's backstory before he joins the Corps. Within a few minutes, we're already at the base camp where Swafford is humiliated and put through the ringer as he and the other recruits go through hell, much like what happens to Cherry. Swafford. Sir, yes, sir. You the
1: maggot whose father served in Vietnam. Sir, yes, sir. Outstanding. Did he have the balls to die there? Sir, no, sir. Too fucking bad. He ever talk about it? Sir, only once, sir. Good. Then he wasn't lying. Do you have a girlfriend, Swafford? Sir, yes, sir! Yes again, motherfucker! Jody's banging her right now! Get on your face and give me 25 for every time she gets fucked this month! Down on your face!
0: It was shortly after meeting drill instructor Fitch that I realised that joining the Marine Corps might have been a bad decision. Sam Mendes' fast-paced direction drives you along, and while Cherry's more adventurous with what he does with the camera, there's a confidence and composure to Mendez's technique. No surprise, then, that the cinematographer of Jarhead is one of the greatest of them all in Roger Deakins. Cherry's a hybrid of genres, and while there is arguably a flair and diversity to that, Jarhead looks at the futility and absurdity of Desert Storm and War in general. This gives it a focus, while Cherry can be a bit confused, again, juggling so many settings, characters, and overbearing narration. There is the voiceover of Swafford too, but this feels more natural and definitely doesn't cause a distraction like Cherry's does. Both films delve into the lives of the soldiers after the war. But while Cherry's third arc goes into addiction and criminality, we get touches of what the marine unit of Jarhead do next. The ones who struggle, the ones who thrive, and the ones who can't ever quit. Cherry digs deeper and looks at the turmoil some have to suffer due to PTSD and the questionable treatment they get from society after they return. So essentially, Jarhead is a tighter and concentrated version of what Cherry is trying to be. And while some may enjoy Cherry's exploration of life before and after war, Jarhead is superior due to its leaner, steadier, yet similar vision.
1: Uh, Yeah, I love Jarhead. I think it's a really good pick. I think it's one of my favourite war films. I think that it's such an absorbing and actually quite unique war film. Uh, And it's kind of different from Cherry because a lot of Jarhead is about the trauma that Swafford and his fellow soldiers go through by being in the middle of a war but never actually being allowed to fight it. And as they're slowly going insane, having been forged and brutalised into these tools for something that they're never actually going to do, that starts to kind of wear away at their sanity.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a new take on war, which I kind yes. of like. I mean, okay, maybe you can look at certain themes or ideas in other war films and they're similar, but yeah, for for me, the endearing idea of the film is to have all this build up through boot camp and arriving in Iraq, and then to have no payoff and no glory. Yeah. So this is epitomised at the end of the film where I think it's Troy, uh, played by Peter Sarsgaard and Swafford, are about to use all their training and preparation in assassinating an Iraqi soldier. Yeah. Only for a major to come in and say, "Oh no, we're just bombing from afar," <laughs> and they kind of they lose their minds because they were like, "This is this is what we've been waiting for. This whole mission." To, to go into Iraq and, and stop it invading Kuwait, only to have the US Army just take control from above, making us being there completely pointless. And yeah, it's just that insanity to them, just complete
1: insanity. Yeah, and I think it is, and I think it communicates the way that war can be insane in a lot of different ways, and I like that about it. I think it's a good comparison with Cherry, because they both have this narration and they're both telling a story about the military way of life really and how that can drive you completely insane but i do much prefer jarhead i think it's got a lot more better moments and a better cast that's a lot more memorable it's a great one for uh, jamie fox actually jamie fox yeah. is so good in it as this, staff sergeant. as this staff sergeant who is absolutely dedicated to being in the marine corps and his performance just runs that really good line between being absurd and genuinely intense I really really like that about it
0: yeah I love this job that's really <laughs> so. I
1: love that mo- I
0: love this job but the intensity in the way he says it to Swafford you kind of can really really you, feel it it's a really good it? it's a really good piece of acting
1: it's amazing and I love that bit because it's almost at that point where you're like that's another level of oh my God he's insane. <laughs> He's, in, he's insane
0: after all they've been through after all they've been through he's, he's like walking through the desert you know past all these like this debris and these, these bodies and
1: the fire, The oil thing's on fire and he's just talking about like I could have a, a better life at home but I don't because I just love this job and why because he's because he's insane he's completely he's perfect for the Marine Corps and he's perfect for a person running a bunch of Marines because he's almost more insane than all of them yeah I love it
0: Yeah, I think you mentioned there the oil wells, and I think that's one of my favourite parts of the film because it just looks so beautiful. I mean, we I think we mentioned Roger Deakins Deakins, every time. He's amazing as the cinematographer who sort of captures all the sort of the colour and the the scope of the film with with the camera. Yeah, the the way that he is able to sort of paint that picture. Is incredible because as the Iraqi soldiers were fleeing, they lit up the, the oil wells. Mm-hmm. So they kind of burn throughout the night, or they burn through days. So you get this amazing image of them on fire against the, the sort of the black of the night sky, and it just looks absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, and yeah, that it's incredible that he's able to capture this beauty in such a desolate place. Yeah. Oh, and the the
1: crude oil rain as well. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Absolutely beautiful but also the world operating in, in opposite. Yeah, almost. absolutely. Something from the ground, like falling from the sky, shows the twisted world that they now inhabit. Because I love this job. I thank God for every fucking day that he gives me in the core. I mean, who else gets a chance to see shit like this? If you didn't like this, then you should watch Good Time from 2017. If you're a bit fed up by Cherry's hackneyed portrayal of a life gone wrong, then I want to point you towards one of the most exciting voices in cinema, the Safdie brothers, and get swept away in a unique and tense thriller. Connie, played by Robert Pattinson, is a low-level criminal who wants to take him and his mentally challenged brother Nicky, played by Benny Safty, who also co-directs, to pastures new. To do that, he decides that they need to rob a bank, But when it goes wrong and Nikki ends up in jail, Connie is determined to bail out Nikki with any hustle or con he can. My brother's been arrested. He's being held at Riker's Island.
0: He could get killed in there. Sorry,
1: I just have a client
0: that walked in. We're good? You get another ten grand, your brother will get out.
1: Where are you? How much money can you get right now? Come on, bro. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? What
0: do you think I'm doing this for you?
1: I want to be a tonight. Cherry is about a complete journey. Good Time is, in some sense, more traditional, as we're seeing an important snippet of a criminal's life. But Good Time does give us a truly unique journey. There's no narration laying out the experience, no slow mo to highlight an important moment. It's stylized, but that style is raw, very raw. The camera holds in uncomfortably close to give you a feeling of claustrophobia or to make you feel Connie's paranoia that the cops might find him at any moment. People talk over each other in chaotic, cluttered spaces, but the film keeps everything moving. Sometimes it switches things up and gives you a flashback or a quieter moment before kicking it back into high gear, but never losing that edge. It's of course a fiction, but the Safdies love to cast non-actors or pure amateurs in roles and go off script to create a feeling of authenticity. All of this creates a feeling of tension and desperation that's hard to tear your eyes away from. Connie isn't like Cherry. Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson might both be icons to a younger generation, but in Pattinson's crime film, you're not supposed to like Pattinson. Connie is a predator. He might care about his brother, and he does, But how he keeps on surviving is by manipulating, exploiting and abusing the people he comes into contact with. He'll make you feel uncomfortable more than once as he takes bigger and bigger risks, rolling the dice over and over. But this is the world he's in. You're not supposed to reason with it. It has the true feeling of an underbelly, a place where the damaged and the difficult make worse and worse choices with everything spiralling out of control. Paterson is, of course, excellent. This is part of his journey to be one of the greatest actors of his generation. So if you're bored with the same old cinema, the same old conventions, the kind of thing that you forget about an hour after you've watched it, then please go and watch Good Time, because it's an innovative and intense thriller that will stay with you long after the other one is... Um, what was this episode about? I don't know. I, I like Good Time. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, now I feel a bit mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: we've, t- we've taken a lot of digs at Cherry over the course of the, the yeah. podcast
1: so far. Wait, I have a little bit. But it is it is hard when you have that experience with a film like Cherry. When you look at something like Good Time or the Safdie Brothers, I mean, I have to put a bit of a, I guess a kind of caveat that, like, the Safdies are kind of like hipster movie royalty, so I fully acknowledge that I'm falling into the pretentious hipster reviewer like <laughs> like stereotype of... of of loving the Safties as much as I do but I am absolutely obsessed with them and you know watching something like Good Time is such a unique and fresh feeling experience it's it's not something that comes along every day I feel like it's a lot more valuable than the kind of experience you get coming out of Cherry even though as we discussed that I, I do think like the the Russo brothers and Tom Holland do have noble aims. I just think if you're viewing it as a film it, it kind of is what it is
0: yeah i I always overuse the word unique and i I cheapen the word but yeah i I, I, this is one way to describe a good time you've seen nothing like it and i think the amazing quality about it is that you don't know where it's going no you you just have there's this sense of no direction to it which um it's that sounds like christian but it's not it's because from scene to scene you just don't know what's going to happen these unexpected events just keep happening and Yeah, you know, you get towards the end of the film, and you're like, I don't know if this is going to go on for another hour. I don't know if this is about to end. Yeah, Um, and it's just that freneticism that just makes it so so good. I, I mean, I'm not as big a fan of it as you are yeah I guess maybe it took me a a longer time to see it than others had so obviously I was going in with a lot of high expectations and maybe didn't quite match that for me
1: yeah that's that's fair enough uh
0: but yeah it truly is an amazing independent film that you just won't forget like cherry I think that's the thing it's distinctive it It has distinct it has this distinctive style that
1: cherry just doesn't have and that's why I, I, I want to send people in this direction, because it's so unique. It's so, it's so special watching a, a Safdie Brothers film. And I, I do think a lot of the problems with Cherry was, is, is seeing the same stuff over and over and over again that we've watched for a very long time, and you just don't get that with good time. It's a really stressful experience watching a Safdie Brothers film, in a, in a good way, though. I mean, you, can, you, get, you definitely get that feeling of you're, you're not in a, a glamorous world with them. You're in an ugly world and you are watching a train completely going off the tracks and i think that does feel like a better portrayal of of the criminal underworld you know it's it's almost completely void of romanticism i don't think you could view any part of good time as sexy (laughs) <laughs> in, in in any way and I think that's even one though it's it, got Robert Pattinson yeah. even though it's got Robert Pattinson who is a very sexy man <laughs> it's such a horrific world that he's in and some of the lengths he goes to I think will make different people uncomfortable uh, to different degrees, for for different reasons, and I think that's really really interesting. As I said in my description, he's a real predator, uh, and th- that is different from very much different from Cherry, who you're supposed to have sympathy for, and you just aren't meant to. For this, just a died in the wool manipulator, someone that that that's why he's in this underworld because that's what he does. That's how he keeps keeps on moving.
0: Yeah, he's kind of a bit of a chameleon as well. At one point, he dyes his hair all oh, peroxide blonde.
1: Yeah, and well, that's all part of his thing. Like, uh, you know, he just he just sees that, and that's his instinct. Like, this is how I'm gonna I'm gonna shift back into this. I'm gonna shift into that.
0: Yeah, and there's this just really
1: problematic element with
0: his disabled brother because he just essentially like coaxes him into robbing a bank. helping him to rob a bank, and then he, you know, he tells him that he loves him. It's just yeah. this really unhealthy relationship and. Actually, even towards the end, of it, without giving it too much away, because I think it is one that people should see, you kind of get a little bit of hope that, you know, maybe that
1: his brother is going to be in a better place by the time the film ends. You do. And there's something really beautiful about that. You know, I think we've talked a lot about how, how unique the, the safeties are. But I think, you know, it does mean that for the really beautiful moments, including kind of those, the, the few moments in Good Time where there is hope, that there could be something good that comes out of this they do become more beautiful because it's done in a style that you you haven't really seen before you you get to see beauty in a completely different way if that makes sense i mean that might sound like that, sound, that, that might sound like a bit of a cheesy Hallmark card but i think it's true i think if you you, you know we seeing redemption seeing hope in a in a in a way that is so like understated and subtle and clever I think that just makes it even more moving though I did realize that I I say I'm a massive like I say I'm obsessed with the Safdie brothers but they actually did make a film about heroin addiction but I haven't actually seen it yet so when I do get round to watching the couple of features that they made before good time and uncut gems I may realize that 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 was a, a lot better pick but I don't know. I'll, I'll come back to that in a later podcast. Yeah.
0: They are obviously different. And it's why if you perhaps didn't like Cherry, you could go and watch Good Time. But there yeah. is this sense of foreboding in both films. That's what I kind of got from it. That I mean, Cherry kind of sets it up in that the film opens with him robbing a bank. And then actually, I think, Good Time starts with Robert Pattinson's his brother, robbing a bank. If I,
1: if I remember correctly. Yeah, or just about. They both actually have like a kind of slightly different, uh, a short... Kind of pre-opening, and then they they jump into a bank yeah. robbery. So maybe they're not as disentangled as. Uh, no, as maybe Possible. not.
0: But, but oh yeah, I, I think um I, you know I I don't think you'll ever forget watching Good Time, whether you hate it or whether you love it. But um yeah, you will forgot that you've seen Sherry.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Films Are Better Than People. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now so you never miss an episode. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. And don't forget to come follow us on Twitter at Films Are Better and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Films Are Better.